Community Literary Podcast. I'm your host, Renee Nyan. Today's interview is so exciting. I was finally able to pin down the talented, the articulate, and the very busy Sarah Megabo. Sarah's a senior agent with KT Literary, and she's been with the company since 2015. We laughed our way through our Skype call, reminisced about old times, and even made up some new words. Sarah talks with me about agenting, analytics, and audiobooks. Enjoy. Okay, Sarah, welcome to the KT Literary Podcast. It's it's crazy that I haven't had you on. We've been doing this for so many months now, and this is your first appearance. Welcome. Thank you. I've been listening for so many months, so I am a big fan, and I can't wait to chat with you. Oh, thank you. It's so very exciting. So talk to me, like, what were you doing before you came to agenting? That is, that is such a crazy question. If I explain it, you won't believe me. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. I um, My very first job was at a Baskin Robbins. My second job was at a Dairy Queen. And my third job was at, a, as, at Ben and Jerry's. <laughs> so <laughs> you get a sense of, like, the start. <laughs> Let's see. Then I graduated college in 1996, which was the dot-com boom, and I went directly into tech. So I worked at IT companies, and I actually have a marketing background. I was a Six Sigma process specialist at GE and a corporate trainer, and I worked in data and analytics. Wow. (laughs) Which is shocking since I have zero left brain. (laughs) (laughs) Was it? Was it like a leap though? Because to me, that sounds like you like you were training, you were working with people, you were building curriculum. Was that really as left brained as that sounds? It's not. I think what what I like about analytics is to me, business is like a puzzle. It's like a painting, and the numbers behind it flesh out the picture. Mm. To me. So I know that there are super, super left brain math, brilliant people that get into analytics and I'm more of the story person that got into it. Hmm. So I don't think it was that big of a leap, but it certainly isn't, you know, the, I got an English degree and then went into publishing career. Like me. (laughs) Probably a little bit more useful. Yes. A little bit more traditional, let's say. There we go. (laughs) No, I think that's so cool. Uh, So what, I mean, you kind of alluded to it, but how does that really overlap in your brain? So think of publishing and Renee just faints, (laughs) right? (laughs) And, And imagine that at some point along the way, an agent or an author might become frustrated with a piece of the process, Sure. right? Like that's not a crazy thing to imagine. Well, (laughs) you know, my background says, great, let's look at that process. Let's break it down step by step and let's make it more accessible or really the word is more successful um, to, you know, cut down on error. And so a lot of error in publishing is subjective you know, why didn't my book do better? How come this reviewer didn't like it? Well, you know, what does my publicity plan mean? What do my sales numbers mean? Those things are subjective. But if I can take my background and say, okay, let's quantify these things. Let's define and measure and analyze these things. Then I feel like the analytics background presents in publishing as sort of smoothing out the processes so authors 
can better understand what success is and so that agents can better work within processes that make us more money and make our clients more money. At least that's my hope. And it's a lot of like marketing gibberish that I just said in 20 seconds. (laughs) But like I said, in my head, it's just a big puzzle. And my goal, my Number one job is not to read queries. My, I swear my family thinks I sit around and read books all the time, and I don't. My number one job is to make my clients money. So if you define what it means to make money, there are objective answers to those questions. And then my job becomes, after that, to communicate to my clients as clearly as possible what that plan is uh, so that they can measure their own successes. That was a lot. Sorry. (laughs) No, it's incredible. And I think dorky and it's, and it's numbersy (laughs) and it's, and it's like, there's a lot of lingo that goes along with it and a lot of insider language that goes along with it. Um, You know, which is why sometimes it's hard to talk about these things on Twitter or at conferences because it comes with a lot of, you know, publishing speak or, or analytics speak that people can find opaque. And it's really not meant to be that. It's meant to be the opposite of opaque. It's meant to be the, this is what we're supposed to be doing. This is how we're supposed to be making money. So let's make it clearer. Um, but boy, it's sometimes hard to get it from my brain out my mouth. <laughs> I don't know. It's, I feel like, I, cause I worked on the editorial side before coming to KT Literary. So I saw how things worked in house and I sat in sales conference and I sat in, you know, cover conversations and I wrote back cover copy and I still don't know that I had as good of a grasp on the actual publishing house process as I did just in sitting down and kind of learning through osmosis from, from your explanation of it. So I I see where your background as a trainer really gives the people in your orbit. And now you gentle listener, you know, it really gives everybody a, a really great understanding of the process. I hope so. And think about like, so you said, you used to work in editorial. You used to be in the sales meetings. You used to be in the cover design meetings. And at any point, does your family, even to you, probably still thinks, oh, she sits around and reads books all day long? <laughs> yes, for right? sure. Right? And and if, if you were to try on Twitter to explain what an editorial board meeting is like or a cover okay. conference meeting, it's complicated. And the prep and, that goes into that, too. Yeah. Yeah. Hours hours of prep that goes into taking a book to acquisitions. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yes. So it just, it's something that I could, that I could talk about for a long time. And one of the things that I've been thinking about a lot recently is something called list balancing, which it speaks a lot to writers who might be querying an agent and saying, well, how come mine didn't get picked? Or writers who have an agent who are on submission to publishing houses who might be asking the same thing. Why didn't my book get picked? And if I think about the big five publishing houses and the fact that I represent middle grade and young adult novels and I represent romance novels and I represent science fiction fantasy novels, all the imprints at all those big five houses want to have catalogs that are balanced. Mm -hmm. So, for example, if we have... Um, you and I were just talking about Rebecca Roanhorse. If we have Trail of Lightning on in our imprint, um, it's possible that of the other five slots, we don't want to fill them all up with post-apocalyptic urban fantasy. 
Um, so we might say, okay, well, we have one of those already. Now we need a space opera. Or, and then we have those two, so now we need an epic fantasy. And not only do we that, do that, but we want to have a debut author and a New York Times bestselling author and a mid-list author who's, you know, five books into a series. So, and I, I'm sure you probably saw that when you were at, when you go to acquisitions, is that every, if everybody brings to acquisitions a debut author who's written a post-apocalyptic or urban fantasy, even if they are all quantifiably equal in craft, they're not all going to get offers. Yeah. And boy, that's a lot of stuff to try to explain on Twitter or at a conference. <laughs> And well, it comes, and the, you know, it comes naturally to you and I because we've been in the process for such a long time. But now right. our job becomes explaining it to our authors so they can know, understand the process a bit more, so that they can set their expectations. And that all comes from the people who are building that list. They don't want their books to compete with each other. Of There's because booksellers are thinking in this with the same. With the same mindset, they're thinking we have limited shelf space, so we can't fill it all up with dystopian urban fantasy. They're right. thinking, okay, we need to have a wide range of books so that when, you know, Joe Schmo walks into our bookstore, he's not presented with all of the same book or mm -hmm. all of the same kind of book. And so really it's, it's kind of like this weird, the publisher is setting up what the booksellers buy, but the booksellers are buying them from the publishers with the end person in mind. And so it's kind of this like weird cycle. Yep. And that's why it takes so long is because it has to, the book has to go through so many hands. Yes. And the end goal is bookstore distribution. The end goal for the publisher is bookstore distribution. Mm -hmm. The end goal for the bookstore is what we call conversion, which is a human being named Joe Schmo in your example. <laughs> <laughs> Man, that's, that was real creative. Yeah, that I like Joe Schmo. <laughs> I especially like Joe Schmo. Joe Schmo spends a lot of money on my books. <laughs> but, you know, conversion is Joe Schmo walks into a bookstore and buys a book. And there are two things that, that is particularly indie bookstores measure. Oh, there's actually, there's a lot of things that indie bookstores measure, but two of the things they measure are how many people who walk into my bookstore, leave the bookstore having bought something. Mm -hmm. That's number one. And number two is of the people who buy something, how much are they spending? And so a bookstore is constantly trying to increase the percentages of both of those things. They're trying to make it so that more people who leave the bookstore have purchased something. And they're trying to make it so that instead of each person spending $40, each is spending $50. And one of the things, I mean, again, this is all analytics nerd speak, and I apologize. I think it's cool. Um, one of the things that we've seen in the past couple of years is indie books having a period of robust growth. And there are more indie bookstores opening than closing, and the the margins are up. Now, when I say up, I mean by one percent. Mm -hmm. But but when the margin is already two percent, up by one percent is a fifty percent. You know that's a big thing. So we're in a we're in a period of robust indie bookstore growth. Wow. And what we're noticing is that people who are leaving the bookstore, the measurement number one, there aren't as many people buying something. That's bad for bookstores. And uh, one of the reasons that we ascribe that 
too, if that's proper grammar, is that people go into bookstores, they see the price, and then they look on their phone and they go, oh, I can buy it less, you know, for less money somewhere else, i.e. online. So that's not good for bookstores. However, what we are seeing is that of the people who purchase, they're purchasing a considerably larger amount of, again, bad grammar. I apologize. They're spending more money. That's what I'm trying to say. They're spending more money. So 10 years ago, if each person who was buying something was spending 40, now they're spending like 70. And so that, you know, that that's where analytics comes into, you know, publishing is we look at, at, at the publishers who are trying to get books into bookstores. And we look at the bookstores who are trying to sell stuff and we notice these trends. And one of the reasons that we think perhaps that number is so high is because a, the people who are buying want so badly to support local, right? Like hashtag support local that they're actively choosing to sit down and shop. And B is, is the impulse shop, which is I'm here for the gift on my friend's wish list, but I'm also going to get this for myself and this cookbook and I'm going to get this for my kid and I'm going to get this is a housewarming gift. So that's number two is like all that impulse shopping. And number three is I forget. <laughs> I totally <laughs> just forgot. Anyway, like, but this is the kind of stuff that I study and this is the kind of stuff that I try to explain to my clients so that they can have a better understanding of what to expect in their author career. Genius. And then, of course, they just say, whatever, Megabo, and just go back to writing. (laughs) And that's fine. I think there's a difference between people who are just compelled to write and publish a book and people who want to become career authors. And I think this is a really valuable conversation for those people who want to or do make a career out of it. Well, when you say career author, like what is somebody saying to you when they say, I want to be a career author? Um, You know, before I joined the agency, I might have said, oh, they want to be able to quit everything and write books. Okay. I think (laughs) Um, that's probably somewhat accurate. But now, you know, I think that I would call several of my authors or my clients career authors, Mm -hmm. but they they also have other jobs. They have mm-hmm. other gigs. They do other things. And that doesn't make them any less of an author by career. Right. Um, it's For me, the career is the longevity, not necessarily yeah. the lucrativity. Yep. Well, and I see, I agree with both of those. And I think that that's what, that's when our job becomes explaining the difference between longevity and lucrativity. <laughs> is that up, like, a word? I mean, we're I'm talking for like confidence. 10 minutes, made up 15 words. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. Um, but, own, but, uh, you know, if, if somebody is writing a literary fiction novel, then longevity isn't part of the strategy because right. the strategy in literary fiction is one book deal. If someone is writing a nonfiction or a self-help, it's one book deal. So there's nothing to do with longevity necessarily but in genre fiction like science fiction fantasy romance or in middle grade novels or in young adult novels there's so much profit behind branding that you know if i love a rebecca roanhorse book i'm going to buy every rebecca roanhorse book is going to make rebecca roanhorse a heck of a lot more money right and so you know that that longevity comes into branding and that's something that we have to explain that somebody might go on twitter and see a tweet by an author who writes literary fiction and think that the goal is to drive up the price of the book deal well if you only have one book deal then that lucrativity 
copyright <laughs> is part of the conversation. But if right. a person who is looking at that tweet is themselves writing romance novels, right. then the longevity is actually part of the strategy. And I think it's the agent's job to sort of vet that information. And, you know, I look at Ronnie Loren, who has, I think, perhaps the most books of any of my clients. I was doing these numbers recently because I just recently hit my 300th book. And I'm wow. just creeping up on reading my 300,000th query. <laughs> and I looked at those numbers at the same time and I was like, whoa, that is a super like linear, um, whatever the word is. <laughs> correlation. <laughs> you know, correlation. Thank you. <laughs> Should have done this in the morning with coffee. But, <laughs> but um, I think of the 300 books, Ronnie has like 15 of them. Wow. And, and she, that is a success story when it comes to longevity you know, and in parentheses and lucrativity, but, um, but that's, that's what we're going for in romance is, is branding and her branding is outstanding. And part of that is because she works so hard on her craft and is utterly, utterly brilliant author. And part of that is the success of um, the publisher in creating long-term interest from readers mm. for these books. Anyway, that was, I diverge. What were you no. asking? <laughs> no, it's yeah. brilliant. So you were asking about, you know, when somebody says, or I asked you when somebody says, I want to be a career author and you were talking about the difference between longevity and money. And yeah. So that's how analytics plays. That's how my background sort of plays into what I'm doing now. And I'm super nerdy and think it's cool. And I'm sure most people think it's super dorky, but it involves Excel spreadsheets and I've got a wicked, wicked database and, um, Gantt charts. I know dorky. <laughs> I've got this, um, Excel spreadsheet uh -huh. and it has 17 tabs along the top. Wow! I know. And 45 um, rows. Wow. And each of the rows is one of my clients, and all of the 17 tabs is one of the tasks that I have to do every week to make sure that they're making as much money as possible. So every week I look at the Excel spreadsheet and I just go by and I go, okay, audiobook, yes. Look at the 45 clients, done, done, done. Ooh, have to check on that, done, done, done. And then it, it's that's one of the things I do every week. And that's how my background in analytics plays into agenting because that has to be my top task is making my clients money. And so I'm not going to go on Twitter or do the stuff that doesn't make them money until I've done that spreadsheet. And, uh, you know, 48 weeks out of 52, I get it done. Wow. Which is a which is a task that I learned way back in 1996 when I was working for Jack Welsh at GE. Can we clone you? Like in terms of you do not want to clone me, believe me. <laughs> it would be <laughs> way too amazing. much neuroses and dorkiness. Amazing. I love it. So one of the things that you mentioned in that spreadsheet was audiobooks. And I know that that's something that we discussed recently that you have a lot of thoughts about. <laughs> I have a lot of thoughts about audiobooks. <laughs> and that I am obsessed with audiobooks. I do a lot of my reading with audiobooks. For me, it's just such a, an engaging way. And I, I grew up in a family where we read aloud to each other mm -hmm. all the time. And so for me, it's like a comfort place. I'm obsessed with audiobooks. I have an Audible subscription. I get audiobooks from the library. Talk to me about the state of audiobooks right now. Oh, my gosh. You're at the end of 2019. I would say of all the things in 2019, the biggest success story has been audiobooks. 
I could talk about this for hours. <laughs> I won't, or I will break it up into multiple podcasts. There we go. We'll have um, Sarah Megabo episode part seven. Ew. Yeah, right? Oh my gosh. It, like, I have so many thoughts. First of all, here's something that's really interesting to me. Um, if you remember, was it 2010 or 2011 when the iPad came out? Mm-hmm. Okay. So we called that the iPad Christmas. Because in December of whatever year that was, um, all of a sudden people had access to low-priced ebooks. Ebooks were not the market disruption; it was the device. It was the iPad, and then shortly thereafter, the Kindle. Mm-hmm. So people say, "Whoa, how's publishing changed in the 15 years you've been doing it?" Um, publishing always changes. It's not about publishing changing; it's about market disruption, right? So in the 70s, there was the mass market paperback market disruption. In the 90s, there was the big box bookstore like Borders and Barnes and Noble. That was the market disruption. And then 2000, whatever year it was, 2010, 2011, it was the device. Hmm. Well, if we say ebooks are really good for authors and bookstores are really good for authors, but ebooks are very bad for bookstores. Okay. Now, fast forward eight or nine years to 2019, we look at audiobooks. Something that really interests me is I'm seeing bookstores embracing audiobooks, even though one has to assume that as the audiobooks explode, both by unit and by dollar, that we, we, we should be seeing some form of market disruption when it comes to print sales. Right. But either we aren't seeing that market disruption or the market disruption looks in some way like the bookstore supporting audiobooks. So I find this relieving, inspiring, hopeful. And I could be wrong and we could post this podcast and 52 bookstores could write into us and be like, this is not right. It's possible. But my <laughs> gut says that for some reason, this market disruption with audiobooks is serving bookstores also. So wow. if so. Go back to 2010. Mm-hmm. Ebooks are good for authors. Bookstores are good for authors, but ebooks are bad for bookstores. Okay. Fast forward to 2019. Audiobooks are good for authors. Bookstores are good for authors. What does it mean if audiobooks are also good for bookstores? That's huge in terms of potential. Okay. So that's one thing I think about a lot is this huge growth in audiobooks seems to also be benefiting the print book sales at bookstores. So fingers crossed. Um, The other thing I think about a lot with audiobooks is, oh my gosh, I'm getting audiobooks deals left and right. Crazy. I mean, I'm seeing six-figure audiobook deals. Jeez Louise. Right? Which is huge. Yeah. Huge amounts of money. Wow. and, And publishers and audiobook publishers don't pay that kind of money um, I mean, they do a P&L statement just like the print publishers do. If right. they don't going to move that number of units, they're not going to pay that kind of – we're seeing huge money. Wow. So there's that. And one of the things I hear from my audiobook publishers is the longer the book, the better for audio because the largest distributor of audiobooks right now is Audible mm-hmm. by unit. And most – Audible consumption comes from people like you who have an Audible subscription. Well, the Audible subscription typically comes with one or two credits per month, mm-hmm. right? Well, if I have a credit and I see an audiobook that's 10 hours and then I see an audiobook that's 30 hours, I'm more likely to spend my credit on that 30-hour audiobook. Wow. Um, right? It, it, it's like buffet shopping. 
because, you know, am I going to go to anyway, um, <laughs> which is one of the reasons why, you know, middle grade and young adult novels aren't performing quite as well in audiobook. They're, they're doing well. But compared to the numbers in adult science fiction and fantasy, it's I mean, adult science fiction and fantasy is doing so well. And these are usually 20 to 30 hour audiobooks. Yeah. And the consumption rate is just off the charts. Wow. Off the charts. So, and because I represent authors who write in adult science fiction fantasy, I find this really exciting. It's also working really well in romance novels. I mean, again, a romance novel, you know, full length romance novel might be 90,000 words. It's probably 20, 22 hours. And it's working so well in audiobook. And it's so inspiring to me. So, those are two things. One is um, the bookstores seem to be behind it. And two is there's just tons and tons of, of money. And I'm, I'm thrilled. Wow. Um, there is another big discussion going on in social media right now about ebook lending or audiobook lending at, at libraries. But I'm going to give that one an asterisk okay. and talk about that at another podcast because there's just so much that people have to understand about ebooks and audiobooks and print books and the library market. And that would really take 30 minutes. So we won't do that right now. But asterisk this because we will talk about it later. So that's, I mean, it's all over my mind is audiobooks and probably the probably the breakout success story of this year for well, me at least. it's that's so exciting to hear and you know podcasts are everywhere mm-hmm. audiobooks are everywhere people are just walking around with earbuds in their ears all yeah. the time i do yeah. <laughs> and it's so exciting that people are using that time to really engage in something that they may not engage in otherwise absolutely Absolutely. I was one of the ways I use audiobooks now is for my clients. So many of my clients, we were talking at the beginning about branding and longevity. Many of my clients have two, three, four, five books in their book, you know, in their book deals. And for example, my client KD Edwards has a fantasy series uh, called the Tarot Sequence. And the first book came out in June 2018. It was called The Last Sun. And the audiobook is narrated by Josh Hurley who is amazing. I absolutely adore that audiobook. I spent one of my Audible credits on that audiobook, even though it was a client book, because I was like, I know I'm going to love this. And it's so good. It's It's so so good. So this is how I used it, is um, the second book in the series comes out next week, December 17th. It's called The Hanged Man. Well, because it's a series, I went... And right before The Hanged Man got to me, the print edition, I re-listened to the audiobook to kind of put myself back into the world. And I am finding this is my favorite way to do audiobooks, is right before reading the next in the series is to go back and listen to the audiobook of the previous book to put myself back in the world. Oh my gosh, I highly recommend it. For me, the year 2019 was all about hashtag audiobooks. Huge success stories. Love it. Amazing. Well, I will certainly be bringing you on again, but we've reached our time limit for today. (laughs) I know it's crazy. It's like we could go on a company retreat and just talk for like four hours about books (laughs) or something. I don't know. Not that we've ever done that. Not that we've ever done. Although don't bring the podcast in, in, you know, equipment because then we drink a lot and the stories, (laughs) we get a lot more rated NC-17. Oh, man. (laughs) Yes. Yes. <laughs> Just thinking, thinking back to the previous ones. Anyway, yes. I'm sure you have something to ask me to wrap this up before we get ourselves in trouble. <laughs> um, if you cannot tell, 
Dear listener, we really like each other here at this agency, (laughs) and it's just so exciting and so joyful. Therefore, one of our founding pillars of the agency is boundless optimism. So every week we talk about what is making us boundlessly optimistic. So Sarah Megabo, today, this week, (laughs) what is making you feel boundlessly optimistic? I have been prepping for this question because um, I found something on Twitter that I love and I want to share it with you. It is the Twitter handle is at Barbershop Books. And Renee, I'll give you the link so we can put it at the podcast. Yes. Um, and it says, we create child-friendly reading spaces in barbershops and provide early literacy training to barbers, winner of the Innovations in Reading Prize. And so this organization collects books from their website, which is barbershopbooks.org. It's about empowering communities to support early literacy, uh, and they increase out-of-school time reading with boy-approved books in local barbershops. I love this Twitter feed. I have been following. I've been retweeting. Um, there is a donation button. There is a TED Talk. They were um, interviewed by the New York Stock Exchange recently. If that's if that's no, sorry, they were interviewed on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange <laughs> by um, the magazine Cheddar. Uh, it it wow. is so inspiring to me that people really, really want to get books to readers and what a creative way to do it is in a barbershop where someone is sitting still in theory for 30 minutes. So I really love that. And I wanted to share that it's barbershopbooks.org. That is absolutely gorgeous. Their Twitter handle is barbershop books. I will make sure that that is linked in the show info because Oh my goodness, that is so exciting. I'm just scrolling through looking at these pictures. Yep. Isn't that amazing? My, my heart is swelling. I, I know. love it so much. I know. That's I have a whole bunch of Twitter feeds that I follow that are just happy places. Oh. And that was one of my recent finds, and I just love it. Oh, wow. Well, that is joyful. Well, Sarah, thank you for joining <laughs> me today. This was so I'm wonderful. Thank you for joining me today on the show. You can find Sarah and her almost 36,000 Twitter followers at Sarah Megabo with no H on Twitter. You can also follow our agency on Twitter and Instagram at KT Literary or visit our website www.ktliterary.com for all of our latest news. Also, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to this very show. Until next time, We'll see you on the acknowledgments page.